monetarily speaking, I mean, you're, you know, you're talking about a $300,000 loss. You're talking about blood, sweat, and tears, and time away from your family late, late nights. And all of it just seems like it's just gone, like it just didn't happen. Hello, and welcome to How to Fail Successfully, the podcast that teaches the steps to success through the stories of failure. I'm so happy that you can join me as I interview some of my favorite people and encourage them to share their story with you. I'm Matthew Carrier, and this is How to Fail Successfully. Welcome back to another episode of How to Fail Successfully. My name is Matthew Carrier, and on today's episode, I have founder and CEO of Artist Uprising, Merrick Porkedu. I think it's Porkeru. She's going to actually tell us how to say her last name. On this episode, Merrick shares how her journey took her around the world and ultimately ended up revealing her life purpose. She will also share how she bounced back after her first failed venture. This is my conversation with Merrick. Enjoy. Since I butchered your name, before we started, can you tell us the actual pronunciation of your name? <laughs> it's Porquedu. It's actually Italian. Um, I married in. I married into an Italian family, and that has been my greatest battle in life: <laughs> is mastering my last name. <laughs> That's great. Quickly tell us what exactly does Artist Uprising do? Yeah, so we are essentially like one major curator and creative broker. That would be the best way of saying it. Um, We work a lot. So when I say we, it's me and my business partner, Angela Ross, and um, our background is in music business and entertainment. So we generally work a lot with musicians and bands, and um, we essentially are a talent buyer. So um, when companies come to us and they say, hey, we want to do you know, a really cool event and we want to have somebody that could be anywhere from an emerging artist all the way to, you know, a Katy Perry, whatever it would be, we would just be the ones to um, organize and make that happen and um, get connected to the the artist agents or management, wherever they're being represented. And we just create that conversation and do all of the negotiations. And so one thing that's really kind of cool with us is we're very transparent about the way that we work. So um, artists usually love, like our mission statement is actually to abolish starving artistry. And so we do that by bringing opportunities to artists that we think would be the right fit for certain, you know, companies or brands or messages or projects, whatever it is. Um, And so we have already worked out the budget. So by the time we even talk to the artist, we're saying, hey, we have an opportunity that would, you know, pay you, you know, $50,000 or whatever. And so sometimes what we'll do is we'll ask them to price out what they would charge for, you know, we give them the scope of the project and they say, yeah, we would charge, let's say, $30,000 for this. And we say, okay, great, awesome. But we know that we have 50000 to give them. Then we surprise them later with another 20 grand on top of that. So That's it's always amazing. kind of fun because we're not, you know, we're working within budgets that are already given to us and, um, and we're never exceeding the budget. So the client is always really happy with us because they give us an amount and we take out our percentage. And by the time we even reach the artist, we're usually bringing them 
more money than what they even would really ask for. So that's awesome. And when when I first heard about your company, that's the main reason why I wanted you to come on is because what you are doing could greatly help impact most of the people that are listening to this podcast. I have artists that are listening. I have athletes. I have entrepreneurs. And your company helps people like that connect. And so I think this is such a, a great opportunity for you to share what you do. And hopefully that'll help draw in some listeners and yeah. possibly put them in contact with you. So if we can kind of go back to the beginning, though, do you mind sharing how you got to the point where you are today? <laughs> yeah, that's a long story more than a podcast. But, um, <laughs> you know, what's really so my heart is, I mean, I'm a creative in an in and of myself. I, I'm very creative in the way that I approach you know, things. And, um, I am actually married to a creative, he's a fashion photographer and a musician. And so, you know, the, the main thing that has always been before me is how, how does an artist promote themselves? You know, how do they break out? How do they create an opportunity that's going to get them, you know, to where they're doing what they love and they are having, you know, they're able to live off of that. And that's the ultimate goal of every, you know, true creative that's really trying to go after it is just to do what they love and, you know, be successful at it. So, so for me, I would say, um, it all kind of started about six or seven years ago. Um, I just really, my, I call it being a magnet. I don't, I don't know what reason it is other than I walk into different seasons of my life and I'm just constantly attracting you know, musicians and artists and models and whatever. And they're always asking me for advice. And so, you know, kind of going down the consulting path for a little while was awesome. But, you know, at the end of the day, artists don't have a lot of money to spend for your time. And I get that. Like, even if I think I have a lot to say on the matter, I mean, so does the next guy next to me. So about two years ago, I actually created a uh, did the whole fundraising thing. We did a technology that we do not have um, currently today, but this technology was a social network kind of for, if you imagine like LinkedIn meets Instagram, but it's for the artist. Okay. So it'd be a place for creatives of any kind to just throw up like a snapshot portfolio of their work, uh, essentially like what their websites show but it's within its own social network and it's not being oversaturated by, you know, like people having babies and posting pictures of food and vomit yeah. and whatnot. It's like <laughs> truly, <laughs> it's truly like a behance of the world, but it was for music and fashion film and everything. And so, um, you know, we raised a, a good little chunk of change for that and got it going. And, and how did you do that? How did you raise that capital? So I raised that capital just by starting with friends and family and then moving into, um, I actually did a Shark Tank type pitch. It wasn't on actual Shark Tank, but it was with a company that actually ended up taking a chance on me. But I was one of 40 people that pitched for wow. a for a deal. I was, I was also very, very pregnant at the time and <laughs> third child. And, you know, it, it was a crazy ride. Like, I just remember the first times that I sat down in a meeting prior to this big event that happened, um, I would pitch the idea and people would write a check on the spot. 
And then I started showing and then I started getting asked the question, you know, well, what are you going to do when you have this baby and are you still going to do it? And, you know, we're super interested and call us after you've had a kid and all of that kind of stuff. And I just thought, man, this is getting harder and harder. Mm. And just ultimately got to the place where I was maybe, I was probably seven or eight months pregnant and um, just thought, okay, if I'm going to go and I'm going to pitch at this shark tank thing and this is it for me, I'm going to put all my eggs in this basket. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And I'm moving on with life. How much have you raised up to this point? I had raised about two, let's see, maybe, maybe about a hundred thousand dollars. And how much did you need? Uh, I needed about another 200. Okay. So pretty big chunk. Yeah. Yeah. I needed way more than that to be quite honest, but you know, it's yeah. always, you just kind of starting and, and you're testing the market and the whole thing. So anyway, I just, I was one of several that had submitted, but then they narrowed it down to 40. And then out of those 40, they were going to have seven people actually be the ones to, you know, pitch in front of this room of investors. And by flying colors, I got picked as number eight, so I actually didn't get picked. But then one of the seven didn't need money. They just needed mentorship, so they bumped me in. And um, I was the very last one to pitch, and half the room was gone. I just thought, this is this is just silly. You know, I've made it all this way for nothing. And I pitched, and they shut the doors behind me, and they said, by far, you are the best one, best, best concept. This wow. is the most needed thing for the arts and they just saw my heart and my heart has just always been to create opportunities and create space for creatives. So they took a poll on how many people were interested in becoming investors and it was almost the entire room that was left. So within about two weeks, I had the money that I needed to finish my project and get it launched. And we launched the technology in Dallas and um, it actually did really well. We had about, you know, 3,000 active users that downloaded it were working on it, but it's just expensive to keep technology going and we needed lots of support and tweaks and things that we needed to do. And um, essentially I just kind of was like, we can't do this without another round of fundraising. So we halted and paused and we're going to go after more fundraising when really the true essence of our business model kind of, we, we recorrected it and started almost just fixing it a little bit and it just took off. And so we're still a startup. Um, You know, we're in the very early stages of a business that is thriving and it really took a massive recalibration and it doesn't mean that I'm not ready to bring that technology piece back, but looking at what we're doing now and seeing the gap that we are fulfilling between, you know, before my, that technology was really between artists connecting with other artists, but that doesn't really solve the issue of money, which is what they need. And so what the recalibration process was is, Hey, we have, you know, a big pulse in corporate companies and brands. And we're, we're very well connected with these places and they are constantly looking for photographers and videographers and artists and installation pieces and music and entertainment. So 
we've just started um, saying yes, saying, hey, if you tell us the budget, we will find you the right people for that. And every time we submit talent, I mean, brands and clients, corporate, I mean, anything in that corporate world, they are just absolutely loving what we send them because we've had a pulse on the emerging tipping point world for so long, um, especially through that app that it's just a great, it was a great recalibration for us. What is your background in, in schooling? You went to Belmont. Where did you get your yes. degree in? Uh, music business and entertainment. I went to school originally to want to learn more about artist management, but my heart has always really been in A&R. It's funny because even though I'm not working for a label or anything in what I dreamed that I would be working in, I essentially am still doing a lot of A&R and my my business partner manages a lot of talent. So I help her manage talent, but I also do a lot of A&R with some artists. So. And then what did you do after you graduated? If, you, if There was a, a gap in between when you started this company to when you graduated. What, what were you doing in that time period? So I decided that after I got my beautiful degree, I decided I didn't want to have anything to do with entertainment. And, yeah. <laughs> and I took off and I left Nashville. I moved to um, Perth, Australia. And I backpacked through China and Mongolia. It's, it's kind of a funny story because I went out there not with any purpose of doing anything in arts and entertainment. But like I was saying, this magnet force kind of still kept happening. And in Perth, Australia, I got connected with a, you know, a coffee shop venue. And I'm not even from there. And they just came to me saying, hey, can you book, ta- book local talent for here? <laughs> I said, okay, so, you know, Google has become my best friend and, um, I booked a bunch of talent and, you know, they were great. Like the, there's, there's really, I, this sounds like I'm patting myself on the back, but one thing that Angela and I really, really pride ourselves in is curation. And we both thought everybody can do this. Curation is not just saying, Hey, here's here's something that's really great. It's saying, Hey, here's something that's really great for you. You know, the goal and the message of what you're trying to promote, like we want to pair you with the, with the right talent for that and wow your demographic. And so it takes a lot of research and going in and saying, you know, who's your demographic? Who are you trying to reach? And what's the goal here? And then we bring the right, the right sound or look that will present that in a very beautiful way. So going back to my travel extravaganza, I ended up in um, Mongolia, was in Dalanzagad, which is the desert and the Gobi Desert. And um, I actually met a 16-year-old girl who was a seamstress, didn't know a lick of English, but could sing Beyonce's like single ladies perfectly in English. And she was she was phenomenal at um, being a seamstress and would create these Mongol, you know, outfits that were exceptional and come to find out through a translator. And there's a lot of LA film crews and European film crews that would come in and they would actually set up shop in the Gobi desert in the scare district where she lived. And she would just be an on-site hands and feet person when it came to wardrobe malfunctions or anything that they would need. She was just there. 
and she supported her family this way. And I was like, uh, it just, man, it just wrecked me. And I thought, I want to, this is what I want to serve my life doing is, is finding people like this and creating opportunities that can help them survive and leave a legacy. So That's amazing. Why did you want to get out of the in- entertainment industry to begin with? Um, well, for one, that was in 2008, going into 2009. So really in 2008, you had a very interesting quote unquote crash of the music industry, um, in particular, especially in Nashville, you had a lot of major labels that were merging, a lot of rise of indie labels, but nobody knew how, if that was even going to be a thing. But also I was very, I was, I was saddened by the industry for two reasons. One was I felt like it was really just scammy. I thought it was kind of, you know, the, there wasn't any necessarily any person in particular. It was just the industry by and large just seemed very icky to me in what I was doing. And that could have just been my experience or whatever, but I wasn't really about it. But the second thing was is, you know, I was interning with some bigger name you know, A&R companies and management companies and labels. And I thought, there's a lot of other artists that I know, even coming out of Belmont, that are better suited for some of the opportunities that came our way. And I thought how interesting it was that they, obviously they're going to be pulling from their own roster within, but I thought there's so much out of the box thinking that could have been taking place. And of course, you're just this little intern that doesn't carry any weight. And I thought, man, there's there's more talent than what's just on, you know, this mainstream little niche market. Now, I know that that was their goal, but it, it wasn't really my goal. So I kind of took off. And then once you got back to the States and you had this experience of traveling and being able to experience different cultures and countries, were you re-energized? And like, you were like, okay, now I have a, an idea or a purpose or, or a feeling of what I need to do, I need to do next. Or what was the transition there? Um, well, the transition actually looked like me again, moving to, um, Idaho and Montana, Utah, that area. And I was, I was essentially booking bands. It was not anything cool or sexy, but it was definitely something where I learned the relationship between not just music, but like having really excellent videographers there and, you know, photographers. And then we, we would need t-shirt designers and apparel makers. And the, this relationship between creatives, that's for me, what got me inspired is I thought, okay, how do these people, how do they connect? Okay. This is pre Instagram days, by the way. So there wasn't, a place where you could just go on and look at somebody's handle and get an idea of what they were doing. But I thought so much of this is out of relationship and connection and technology can only take you so far. That's really where I, you know, got the, the excitement to come back to Dallas and try my hand at this technology piece, which of course didn't work in the season that I released it in, but it was always unto something else, you know, and, like I love the the uh, name of this podcast because when you reached out, I thought, "Wow, this is perfect." Because failure is my it's 
become my favorite thing. And my coaches awesome. and business mentors would always tell me that they were like, you've got to fail to realize it's the best university you can go through. Okay. Well, great transition then. <laughs> Let's talk <Yeah>. about <laughs> failure. Can you define failure? What is your definition of failure? Um, my definition of failure is when your expectations are just so not met that it's just a, almost a catastrophe. Um, yeah. I mean, do you want me to give you an example of kind of where I've been? Absolutely. I would love that. Okay. So in essentially talking about, um, you know, we've been talking about this technology piece in this app that we released and, so monetarily speaking, I mean, you're, you know, you're talking about a $300,000 loss. You're talking about blood, sweat, and tears and time away from your family and, you know, just late, late nights. And all of it just seems like it's just gone, like it just didn't happen. I'm a mom of two little, little toddlers, and I went through two pregnancies while trying to get this technology out. And... You know, I have nights where I literally was, actually when my second kid came around, I gave birth, had him in the hospital with me, and in the middle of the night was still texting with my India developers because they're up. So, you know, I could write a book on how, just how much time went into building something that's actually still something I'm very proud of, a beautiful piece of code and technology and a comprehensive product but like all technology it's very hard to get it off the ground without you know at least a million (laughs) and for whatever for whatever reason it's just it wasn't the season for it so I look back at that year and I think I mean I've really struggled really really struggled of um, I can't get that time back you know it's funny because my investors they're amazing they're like we invested in you, you know, this is, yeah, this is money that's gone, but we're, we're in it in the long haul because we believe in you. And I mean, that is a miracle because that is not everybody else's story in the startup world. Um, so yeah. Okay. So, so many more questions along those lines, if you, if you don't mind sharing, I mean, can you kind of take us into the mentality of how you, how do you recover from that, from the feeling like you've, you've lost precious time that you can't get back. Right. A lot of tears, (laughs) you know, and just a lot of, of processing and realizing number one, giving yourself permission of just, I don't know if I gave myself permission to fail. In fact, Mm -hmm. I was probably very prideful. You know, I remember people in the beginning, I'm a very, very tenacious person. I still am. And in the very beginning, people would say, it's very likely that this won't work your first round. Or they would give me the, the phrase of, you know, every multi-million dollar, you know, or millionaire, billionaire person walking around um, has had extraordinary failure or they went bankrupt before. And I was like, well, that's not going to be me. That's not me. That's not me. You know, and even my, my bigger investor, we have a very good relationship and um, he is obviously still an investor, but that was through the Shark Tank you know, story I was telling you about, he, he, in the day that he handed me over the biggest check to get that technology piece going, he said, I want you to know that I'm handing you this. And even if it doesn't work out, I'm investing in you. 
And I thought, that's super sweet, but it's going to work out. That was literally the thought that I had. I was like, yeah. And it was honestly through, you know, him and, and some leaders that he's connected to that I just, they gave me a lot of permission at the end to really grieve something that meant something to me. And it's very much like a death of a person. You know, you have to say goodbye. You've got to do paperwork that closes the books and move on. And for me, it was very, it was a very quick moving on. Um, I was prepared for it to be a few years for me to actually jump back in and get my feet wet. But it was literally like a a few weeks that all of a sudden just we recalibrated and we closed up things that were not working and we moved forward with things that we felt like were working. The doors just flung wide open for us. And so we realized, you know, there's a, there's an element of human touch that um, Angela and I bring to the table that's priceless and technology really can't replace that. And I needed to be okay with letting it go and saying, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time and money hoping that that would work, but it's, at the end of the day, right now, in the season that we're in, relationships is how we're making everything happen because we we really care about both sides. We care about the client, we care about the artist, and we're going to work our best to make for sure both are happy. Have you become more mentally strong after that situation, or what was sort of a, a growth process between the failed company and your current company? You know, for me, I would say the letting go part was where I grew the most. You know, people will tell you that the thing that is the hardest for you to do is probably where you need to focus your efforts (laughs) because that is where growth comes. And, you know, even when, like, you go through the death of somebody or you go through a divorce or you go through something that's just really catastrophic in your life, you have to pick up the pieces and... Um, sometimes picking up those pieces is letting go and knowing that it's most healthy for you to not hold on to the past and just know that it's, you can't change it. And there might not be any meaning to what just happened to you. You know, there, it might just be, it is what it is. And you have to pick up, you know, pick up your feet and just keep moving forward I kind of think that for me, that was where the growth really happened because I'm, you know, I hold on and I fight hard. And my husband, who's amazing, he was like, okay, you just got, you have to let go. And that was a very difficult process. But I'm telling you, it was like the second I let go. And I even had it, I had a date in mind where I said, okay, on this date, I am not doing a thing. I'm not going to pick up my phone. I'm not going to open up my computer and I'm going to take a, three months sabbatical of doing nothing but living my life. And I I got to that point because I was just so, it was so difficult. And, um, you know, on that date, I had put out a couple of proposals on some things that I thought, meh, they'll probably not bite on it because it was honestly so much, so much money to me. It wasn't a ton, but it was enough to where I was like, if they went for this, then it would be worth my time because I'm so exhausted and, you know, that, that date that I had marked, it was actually this last November 1st. I woke up on November 1st and I had several thousands of dollars in my bank account with an email that said, 
got your proposal. It's approved. Money is in the account. Go ahead and start on Monday. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, okay, well, here we go. You know, and it's just been open doors since then. This is where we're going to lighten it up. You were voted number one hottest startup in Dallas, according to Forbes. (laughs) Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So actually, it was according to, um, I can clean that up a little bit, but it was according to a um, company here called Common Desk. They voted us, well, the, the city actually votes for the hottest startups. And we won last year was the first year that we won number one hottest startup. And um, that was a total shocking surprise because um, we had actually incorporated as the name Artist Uprising in February, I believe. And I found out that you could, you know, about about that last year. And we just sent out an e-blast and asked people to vote and didn't really think much was going to happen. And within 24 hours, we got voted number one last year. So super helpful. And then this year, um, we kind of didn't really think that we would win either again, but um, we did. And it was really, really cool. And coincidentally, when that happened, Forbes actually um, had reached out to me this last um, February and asked if I wanted to be on the founding, one of the founding members of uh, Forbes Business Council for Dallas. And I thought it was a scam. And so um, just talking with them a little bit more and finding out that they have this really, really neat concierge program. And um, I didn't know what all it meant. I just said yes to it. Come March, we get voted as number one hottest startup. And I had had a call with um, Forbes maybe a week prior to that, and they asked me a few questions. I didn't know what I was on the phone for, but like three days later, we get mentioned in Forbes, and they do a story on our surprising. So it happened to come out at the same time that we got voted as number one, and Forbes um, did a you know a feature story on our surprising. So it was a, it was a big press week for us. Amazing. Yeah, that's where I saw you was on, on in Forbes, and I thought that was amazing. Yeah. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I'm sure that's that's helped. Probably it's helped get some more eyes on your company. Is that correct? Yeah. It's, it's kind of funny how, you know, we'll get people that email the site, and sometimes something will come through the website, and I'm like, okay, wait. Like, as in the company, you know, it's some massive company that I'm like, yeah. what in the world? <laughs> So you just never know. Now, what is your definition of success? You've already told us what your definition of failure is. What is your definition of success? Um, my definition of success, and it's people who know me know that it's very accurate. So hopefully this, you know, doesn't sound like. No, just like tell goody us. Too, goody just tell us. But I really, my my definition of success is helping others get to where they want to get. It's the whole core of what we do. So, you know, those opportunities that come to us through brands and corporations, they're not looking for success. They are successful. They're looking for a need that needs to get met. But the person who is looking for success is is the creative. And so my heart has really been in that to like, if I can successfully create a system and an opportunity and a way to help creatives get to the next step, then 
me personally, I feel successful, but my company is successful. Um, and so, and we're really, we're really gaining a lot of clout with creatives, you know, um, everything from just doing consulting sessions and training them on certain things to get them to the next level. I mean, that's been, to me, that's like where my heart gets all fuzzy inside is when they're like, without you, we wouldn't have gotten here. And I'm like, that's awesome. Cause we don't, we don't own anything of the artist. And I love that we don't have to be, you know, we don't have to have crazy contracts or ownership or whatever. We don't work like a, like a label or we don't work like a big management firm. So we just help them alongside their journey. And that's super fun. Do you believe that you are successful? Uh, do I believe that I'm successful now? Yes. Um, on a very, very small scale, <laughs> <laughs> there's so much more to do and to grow. And, um, you know, I'm not in this space to be power hungry. I'm in this space to be, and this is a little different, but I'm in the space to be an influencer yeah. and to be a spokesperson on behalf of people that can't or don't know what to say. And, um, that I think I have, we have a lot more room to grow and to become more known as that. But that's, that's really my goal for Artist Uprising as a legacy is to become the most well-known, you know, source of curating excellent talent for opportunities. This might put you on the spot a little bit, but you said influencer and I love that word. How could you be a positive influencer? You know, a lot of influence, influencers in the, in this world, aren't you necessarily using their platform for good? How could you right. use your platform for good? Well, you know, there's, there's certain artists that we actually feel very drawn to that really do use their platform for very specific, positive, you know, reinforcement. So there is an artist that we work with. His name's Jeremy McCain. He is a world renowned oceanographer that, you know, his whole mantra is, his message is to show in a very artistic way why plastic in the ocean is going to kill ocean life. And it's so mind-boggling the type of, the type of art that he does. Um, I mean, he, he works with, like his stuff is on, is on tour with the German ministry right now. I mean, he works with royalty. It's crazy. But it's so profound and impactful and it's people like that when we are working alongside those types of artists that other artists will look at us and then they'll look at people like Jeremy and they think it almost creates the conversation without having a conversation saying like hey here's an artist who's really using their stuff to generate a message that's going to change the world and not every artist has to have something that bold um, but it does start a conversation like, well, what am I doing with my art and how can I yeah. influence something? And what is it that I'm influencing? And both Angela and I are very, very conversational about that. We, with artists that we do work with and that we do manage, we really sit down with them and we, we say, okay, not, not just what is your goal that you're trying to achieve this year, but what does that look like as far as legacy is concerned? You know, and we really start that conversation early, especially when there, there's an artist we work with who's 19. And that's not something that's going to come to her naturally right now in the season of life. But 
to have that conversation started now um, and us help build her career around how to be a positive influence is really cool. And um, in that example with this other girl, she really struggles with anxiety. So she was very proactive about talking to young women who struggle with anxiety and she uses her music to break out of that. So it's different for every, for every artist. I love it. Yeah. How, what would you say to someone, let's say there's a 17 year old listening to to this podcast and they want to be an influencer. What sort of advice would you give them? Well, it's, I would say, Hey, it's easy to be, there's nothing wrong with this, but it's easy to be shallow. You know, you can post on Instagram, you can post on, you can do really cute shots of your outfit or your bikini or what you're eating or Uh all of that and actually become, you know, an influencer, but it's the meat and it's the depth of what you say that's going to keep people coming back for more. And I would, I would just say that, I mean, for anybody that's wanting to be influential, like I said before, the the question is, what are you trying to change or what are you trying to impact? Yeah. Create your brand to go after that message. I mean, our message is abolish starving artistry. It's what we will do until we die. Hopefully that's the legacy that we leave, but with everything that we do and every contract that we sign or deal that we manage, it's around the purpose of how do we get money in that artist's pocket? What do we need to do to make that happen for them? So, yeah. Let's talk about Artist Uprising real quick. You are based in Dallas. Is it purely just working with artists in Dallas? Or do you have your your arms reach outside of Dallas? Yeah, we we reach out um, outside of Dallas for sure. We love utilizing Dallas um, because there are some people who actually are just from here that we think it's really cool when Dallas gets a shout out for stuff. But no, we work with people in LA, New York, Nashville, Miami, Denver, gosh, even there's some people that I've been working with in Canada. Um, and then some even in Europe. So it's kind of all over the place. And how do people find your company? Where can they go if they want to be a part of this or find out more about it? If they want to find out more about it, they just go to artistuprising.com. Um, that will, if you're a, you know, if you're a business or a brand or somebody that's looking to hire talent, then go to that website and you'll click on the I'm a business button and it will give you a kind of a profile of what we can do for you. If you're an artist or a creative, go to artistuprising.com and click the button that says I'm a creative and that will give you a list of what we can do for you. Um, yeah how you can reach out to us and just email the site it comes to me and angela and everybody that works with us so yeah that's awesome i'm so thankful that you agreed to do this and for sharing your heart with us and i hope that everybody listens at least goes to your site checks out what you're doing and realize that you're trying to to do something that's much bigger than yourself and so i want to thank you for that oh thank you so much i really really appreciate the opportunity we appreciate you guys Absolutely. And uh, we'll talk soon. Okay. Sounds good. Love this conversation. So thankful we got a transparent look at Merrick's heart and her thoughts while she reflected on those lost moments after she suffered the failure of her tech company. What happened next, though, is my biggest takeaway from this episode. It's the idea of letting go. 
Letting go means coming to the realization that some things are a part of your history, but not a part of your destiny. Accept it for what it is, let go of what was, and have faith in what it will be. It took Merrick letting go of her desire to be in the entertainment industry, only to bring her back around in a completely different way. It took her a failed company and the ultimate piece of letting it go, to launch her into exactly where she was supposed to be. Remember, head up, stay strong, let it go, and move on. Next, we have Ashlyn Huff joining me in the studio. Ashlyn shares her stories of life on the road with the Backstreet Boys and Tori Kelly, and shares with us the harsh reality of being a public figure. Here's a clip. I think I was in Philly at a radio station, one of the biggest ones, and um, I was like just making a joke in the elevator. We weren't even on the air. We weren't even talking like, we were just candid and I said something about my asthma or maybe I took out my inhale. I don't know what I did, but I got reprimanded for that. Not in a like, you're doing something so wrong, but it was like, hey, probably shouldn't mention that. And I remember being like, I am having to censor myself so much, which is ironic because I ended up marrying a person I had to censor myself in front of too. But it felt wrong. Something was wrong. That's next week.